So just a quick disclaimer up front before we start the show this week, we're reviewing two movies, one of which is a horror movie and the other a lewd romantic comedy. Uh, so if you're sensitive to talks of violence or sexual humor, you may want to skip this episode because in order to review it in the way we want, we kind of have to go into some detail. Also, I forgot to say up front on the show, spoiler warning, we are of course going to spoil these movies in their entirety. So make sure to check those time codes if you want to jump to a particular movie. Other than that, on with the show. Yeah, like we always do with this. Yeah. Yeah, like we always do at this time I'd go for mine and made plans for yours Cause I got the shine Go bar for bar, go line for line Like Kobe in 99, I'm so close to prime Bad bitch by my side, I'm so close behind We living in a moment, there's no post to bind You think there was a deal that I'm supposed to sign The game's just a mountain that I'm supposed to climb I remember, man, 11 years old when I made it to go Up in Fairville, I related to cold Fresh bubble jacket, should I hate it to cold But when winter come around Hello and welcome to Film Soliloquy, episode 2 Episode 2, baby, we made it that that's right. You're here with the Dancing and Highsmith of podcasting. Uh, so, if you didn't get that uh, reference, uh, that's one of the best movies ever right there. Yeah, we've both seen it, so you'll never hear about it on the podcast. Unless we make someone else review it. No drinks. I can't do it. So we're back for episode two. And I want to ask you, Jason, now that you've had a chance to sit on it, to think about it, to ponder the movie Swiss Army Man, do you still feel like it's a D plus? Man, listen, we had lunch today. And we went and got Papa John's. And nah, bro, that, that, it's, it's still a D plus. Okay. Just checking. Nope. Just checking. All right. Well, so it's time for me to redeem myself and I hope I did. But first we got to decide which of us gets to go first. Last week we did rock, paper, scissors. You won. This week, uh, we were going to draw straws, but you had a better idea. You were going to do like a burnt match among a bunch of unburnt matches. Exactly. And if, uh, and if I draw the burnt match, I get to go first. It, and if I don't, it doesn't you get do. any easier than that, in my opinion. It's straightforward. Okay. Uh, so go ahead and uh, burn your match. All right. Here we go. All right. No. Okay. So uh, then uh, you're just going to put it in with the. The rest of the matches. Yeah, man. Can can you hurry up? Yeah, I gotta <laughs> think about it, man. Don't rush me. Let's see. Bro's hot. Yeah. Well, I imagine it's a lit match. <laughs> oh dear. Okay. Here, let me get. Okay, I got one. Okay. Yes, it's the burnt one. It's the burnt one. Yeah. They're all burnt, God. And regardless, <laughs> I win. They're yeah. all burnt, man. That's not all that's burnt. I guess I should have the blue on it first, right? <laughs> I should have done something, but either way, I win. All right, so. God. Let me find a Band-Aid. Yeah. Maybe some salve. What do you put on? So, what do you put on? Man, my hand's hot. <laughs> you, you put a salve on it. Oh, I was thinking some type of aloe vera or something. Yeah, I would point out this was your idea. I wanted to just draw straws. You thought, oh, it didn't do matches. It would be a good idea. <laughs> Yeah, never. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I get to review a movie you selected for me. And uh, do you want to preface the movie, or should I just introduce it? All right. Listen, this movie here, I love a good slasher horror movie, and this is by far, again, one of the best ones I've ever seen. Because if you think of any other horror slasher movie, it's always the 
the victim just running around aimlessly, going up stairs in a house, going into a basement where they're trapped or falling over just random grass, break their leg or something. And the killer always catches up to him. This movie right here is complete office. You actually have a protagonist in the film. All right, enough. Okay, you're stepping on my toes. You got it. Go ahead. All right. Yes, I'm excited. I'm excited, to say the least. Well, so the movie you asked me to review this week is called You're Next. It stars a bunch of people I've never heard of. There was one guy I recognized that played the dad in the show. And uh, he's the only one I recognized, but he was like, I think from a commercial. And I didn't care after that. So it is a slasher film, like you said, but I'm kind of funny about the, the movies horror movies in general, but this one was right up my alley. Uh, so it starts off with a shot of a couple in the throes of passion and they are, uh, making love. And then you could tell right away the, the gentleman in the, in the group is much older than the woman in the group. She looks like 18, 19, 20, no older than that. And he's definitely 40s and 50s. After they complete what they're doing, he hops in the shower. She goes downstairs, grabs a drink. And she starts to turn around and notice and feel like she's maybe being watched. And, uh, well, it turns out she is. But you don't see anything yet. You, uh, the, the guy finishes washing up in the shower. He gets out. He dries his hair. And he sees this girl that he's with is now dead on his back patio and the words you're next are written on his his uh, sliding glass doors and while he's looking at this he turns around and the murderer is there he grabs the guy swings an axe you don't really see anything there other than a, a splash of blood hits the window yeah it's and off killing like off screen killing basically it's all off screen and we get the words you're next which is the name of the film <laughs> yes. so and in a lot of ways, it's very similar. Like we talked about Scream and how much we love it. It's very much something that Scream really kind of started. I don't remember horror movies before this opening with this sort of kill sequence. Uh, or before Scream, I should say. Because Scream was the one, if that iconic scene where uh, Drew Barrymore's in the house and she gets the phone call and she gets murdered in the opening scene. She's a huge star. Neither of these people are huge stars, but that opening scene kill this movie clearly was inspired by scream at least for that sequence so the movie gets started you see a couple driving to a home uh i don't know if it's their summer home or something oh no they uh they purchased a home and uh, the dad is retired he's rebuilding it uh so he's driving down there for an an their anniversary and and all the, the their children are going to be coming and their children have bought their brought their significant others and they're going to have a party or at least to get together. Uh, so they get to the house and the dad notices right out of the gate, hey, the front door is unlocked. And then he's like, ah, you know what? The, the, the movers probably did it and just forgot to lock it. No big deal. Well, during this time, the mom, his wife, I'm going to refer to these characters as mom and dad because I don't care enough about them to refer to them by their names. But mom and dad are in the house. Dad goes upstairs to check or somewhere to check something. I don't remember what. And mom, there's a loud thunk and mama hears something upstairs. 
She immediately freaks out, wants to straight up leave the house. Like, it's an irrational response how upset she gets about it. And she leaves the house. I got to give it a clap on that one, man. Most people will stay there like a dumbass and stay in the house okay, and get chopped but up. but you're thinking of someone who, who knows they're in a horror movie. Straight up. If you hear a thunk, I'm going to assume a limb hit the house. I'm not going to assume someone's upstairs and I need to get the hell out of here right away. It's just because it's just not that feasible. And well, I think she... she well, to now me, look at it. There's the plenty of open. people, or I should say person, making a smart decision in this movie. But it is not the mama. Yeah, well, yeah. Absolutely. That's a dinosaur's <laughs> reference. Uh, so <laughs> she goes outside. Well, dad, dad comes in. He's like, what are you freaking out about? It's probably something. He tries to explain it away. He takes her outside. He goes upstairs and he's looking around. And he's about to open the closet in one of the bedrooms when he is startled by one of his children, uh, a guy by the name of Crispin. Uh, Crispin's like, hey, uh, you know, the first couple to get here with him and his girlfriend, Aaron, and uh, he surprises his dad and his dad kind of gets that jump scare. They both start laughing. Uh, And Crispin wants to know, why is mom outside bawling her eyes out? So they go outside. He introduces his parents to his girlfriend, Aaron. Uh, and quickly you kind of understand that she's the final girl. Uh, in these type of slasher flicks, there is always a final girl. Someone who makes it to the end. And I immediately like, okay, this is our final girl. Because they show a scene of them coming in. And they get more of an introduction Crispin and uh, Aaron do than the other pair. So this is our this is our protagonist pair. Uh now I gotta say, kind of. Well, let me stop. Let me come back to this. But so all the couples start to arrive. Uh, you have uh, Drake and his wife, and you have which who is a brother to Crispin. You have Crispin's sister show up with her boyfriend, and then another brother comes in with his girlfriend uh, Z, and his name is why am I blanking on the names? Felix. So Felix comes in, he's another brother to Crispin, brings his girlfriend, whose name is Z, and they all kind of meet and come into the house. And so it's actually the next morning when Crispin wakes up, comes downstairs, and you're introduced to his brother, Drake. Drake is the second best character in this movie. He's an idiot. He's a douchebag, and he's hilarious. So immediately he starts chiming in on his brother, like talking about fighting him like a kangaroo it treats him like crap he's just a douchebag and he plays your your typical older brother mentality and he's he and he's fodder right you you always have a guy in these movies who's just you hate him right away and he's gonna get killed and drake is the perfect example of that you you know first off there's gonna be a high body count and you know that this guy because he's a douchebag is gonna get it at some point but he's great at it like I love when he's on screen because he's entertaining to me. All right. So everybody's in the house now. They're having a family dinner. And during this dinner, Drake asks uh, Crispin's girlfriend, Aaron, if she's still going to school. And she says yes. And Drake asks, were you one of Crispin's students? Because Crispin is a professor there, I'm guessing. And she says, yes, I was. And Crispin says, she was my teacher's assistant, but we stopped that because we thought it would be inappropriate. And Drake, in all of his douchebaggery, takes a sip of his wine and goes, yeah, 
That is unprofessional. And Crispin, like, loses it. You can tell he's been picked on by this guy his whole life. And he's like, nah, you got something to say? Say it. And, of course, Douchebag is saying, oh, man, I didn't say nothing. You're the one who's getting defensive. But he knows what he meant. And so this fight starts to break out. And uh, so the sister, whose name is Emily? Hold on. I got it somewhere. While you're looking at that name, what's so great about this is uh, behind the scenes side of it is that all these actors and actresses sitting at the dinner table right now actually are doing this uh, improvisation. They don't actually have a script. They're actually that's what makes this so enjoyable to watch. They're they're arguing with each other ad lib. Yeah, I didn't know that. That's awesome. And I like ad lib normally because it to me, it feels more especially for actors that aren't as skilled. It can feel more genuine if it's ad-libbed, whereas if they're reading from a script, uh, I sometimes feel stilted. And I think it at early on in the movie, I felt like some of the acting was kind of stilted. But uh, it does, once the action gets going, everything picks up. I can't remember her name. I didn't write it down. But she's the sister of Crispin. So her boyfriend, Tariq, and he's, he wears a scarf, and he's a filmmaker, and, you know... And immediately, so he's talking about, so Dick asks this guy, uh, Tariq, what he does for a living. And he's, oh, I'm a filmmaker. And Tariq's, or uh, Drake asks, he's like, well, what do you do? And he's like, well, I mostly do documentaries. And then Drake goes on about commercials are his favorite type of filmmaking. And I'm pretty sure I've seen some commercial documentaries that are like, what? He just, I don't know, the guy just like stirring stuff up. And so anyway. As this fight starts going on, you can tell... He's a douche. Yeah, he's the worst, but he's kind of the best. So Tariq gets, like, annoyed with, um... Maybe not annoyed, but uncomfortable that there's this fighting going on, and he's looking around, and he sees something moving out the window. And his curiosity gets the best of him. He stands up, and he goes and looks out the window, and he says, what is that? And then an arrow. Well, you don't see this. All you hear is glass break and a noise, a thud. And everybody's still kind of talking and Drake's the first one to kind of see something's up. You see his, his face change and he looks and everyone turns and Tariq is stumbling backwards. He's got an arrow dead center of his forehead and he falls down and dies. More arrows start coming in. Um, his mom is kind of standing by the window and Drake for all his terribleness goes and he tries to save his mom. So he runs after her, grabs her he gets an arrow in the back for his trouble and everybody's on the floor and they're saying, ah, we're being attacked. What's going on? Let's, we got to call the police. Well, they have no cell phone signal. So, um, their brother, whose name again, uh, Felix, their brother, Felix says, you know, maybe it's a, a jammer, you know, they're illegal, but you can find them online for like 50 bucks. And again, this guy, so Drake is shot. And he still finds a way to just be a jerk. And it's hilarious. Because he's, he's bleeding on the ground with an arrow in his back. And he's like, oh, I knew you'd always be into some kind of that shady stuff, man. And, and Felix, I'm just trying to help, man. And why are you doing this? It's so good. I love that he's just like constantly the most terrible person. But even when he's shot, he's just going in. He doesn't care. He's, he's a bully at heart. Okay, the sister's name is Amy. I, I do have it here on my notes. So, 
so they all kind of get, they want to get out of this dining room where all the shooting's going down. And so uh, about this time, Aaron, Crispin's girlfriend, starts really taking control of the situation, getting people on the ground, telling them to calm down, showing um, Drake's wife how to, to stop the bleeding on this arrow that's, uh, that he's got in his back. And she says, okay, everyone pick up a chair and run out. That way, if they do shoot in, the chair is going to take the arrow and you can get all the way out. And she kind of leads everyone out. She's the last one to go. And the shot, the arrow comes, boop, hits the chair, but she makes it out okay. They close the door. So they're all in like the foyer of this house, this big, huge house that the, the these folks live in. And everybody starts theorizing, what's going on? What do we need to do? How do we do this? We got to get out of here. So, uh, Felix has the greatest idea in the world. He says, you know what we should do? We should just run as fast as possible out the front door. And nobody, like somebody says something, does Drake, I can't remember. There's people in the room who are smart and they're like, no, that's a terrible idea. And like, Chrisman's like, this is, that's a bad idea. Let's not do that. And they're like, no, we can do it. Uh, who's the fastest runner? And they, and Drake's like, <laughs> I'm the fastest part. runner. And his wife's like, yeah, Drake's the fastest runner, but he's got an arrow on his back. And Crispin's like, no, I'm the fastest runner. And what the hell does having an arrow on your back have to do with your legs? And, it, <laughs> and, and so Drake says, well, you wouldn't know, you fat something. <laughs> And so Christmas starts getting downtrodden. They're still, they're still they're going still at fighting. it. I mean, they're, yeah. they hate each other. It's awesome. So now Amy's like, you guys didn't ever believe it. And she's like, okay, she's crying because they've been attacked. And that makes sense. But then she starts going on and on about how nobody believes in her. And it's just kind of left field for me. Like, okay, this is a weird thing. And she's like, she's the fastest. I know I can run the fastest. And so everybody's like, all right. Let's do it. So she takes her heels off. She gets back a little ways. Felix and dad are at the door. And what they say is get a running start. We're going to open the door and you're going to come out full speed. They won't even know it's coming. Get to the car. Go get help. Okay. And and that's, that's what I love, man. This usually in movies such as horror movies like this, they just open a door, peek their head out and just, you know, start lazily running. This lady is looking like she's about to, prep for an Olympic run. Yeah. So, and, and you get the idea that she's probably known for running. So she goes ahead, takes her heels off, like I said, and she starts running and the movie goes to slow-mo as she runs almost like chariots of fire. And so she gets a running start. They open the door. And as they open the door, she runs full speed into like this wire that they have. These killers have across the front door that hits her right in the neck cuts all the way across she falls back she's bleeding everywhere she's clearly done because if, if your throat gets slashed you got no time they can't get any authorities there so she's bleeding everywhere mom's freaking out and she dies at this point i gotta say so far the movie's pretty great don't have a lot of things to pick on one small thing the special effects are kind of eh, they're okay the blood color is kind of off. It looks a little orangish and it doesn't really look like blood. It's a minor nitpick, but it's there. Would you agree with that? I actually loved it. I mean, the, the slit throat, the juggler hanging out. No, that uh, looked good. Blood I, I guess I'm specifically talking about the blood itself just kind of looked off to me. And there's another... I mean, I've never... 
I've never seen anybody with their neck opened up, so for all I know... It but it doesn't look like orange juice. Different. Okay. We're, we're, you're yeah, confident about that. And there's another kill yeah. later on. Unless she just drank orange juice, you never know. Okay, well, I don't think that was the case. <laughs> all right, so... She's dead. And so about this time, if you've seen a movie like this, the movie... Now, here's a term that you just learned, Jason, at a trivia that we were a part of. Tell me, what is a red herring? I don't know, bro. Okay. We just... You just learned this. So (laughs) at this trivia thing we're at, I got it right. You're like, oh, you knew that. All right. So a red herring is a term in movies and just in storytelling in general where you set up something to divert the attention of the audience. So if you're from... Hey, hey, hey. red herring is like when you set up something to defer the attention of the audience, right? Yes. Hell yeah, I got that right, okay. bro. Mm-hmm. So if... You cut that in the front. No, I'm going to leave that dead air in there because I, <laughs> I want to put the emphasis on the fact that you just copied what I just said. Okay, so... So anyway, they want to establish red herring. So if you've seen uh, Harry Potter, the first, uh, and really most of the, uh, not episodes, most of the movies of Harry Potter, they try to establish Snape as this bad guy. And spoilers, he's not. And so what they want to start kind of doing at this point is they start developing these red herrings. Now, I'm not going to say who is and who isn't bad but i'm going to kind of point out some things that made me start to suspect some people so as amy is dying they do this lingering shot on drake where he's kind of looking like not really that disturbed uh and so immediately like okay something's up with that guy what they do now and i'm going to give you some more red herrings here in a minute is they decide to take mom upstairs. She is completely distraught. She's just watched her child die in front of her. Understandably, she's not in her right mind. Dad takes her upstairs, lays her in bed, and says, just rest. I'm going to go keep track of the kids. So she's up there sleeping, and there's this top-down shot. A lot of the shots in this movie are really great, and one of the things the movie does best is it's suspense and the way it kind of shows you things, it, it, it's really good. So you see this hand creep out from under the bed first, and he slowly stands, and the, the camera's right up on the mom, so you just kind of see some movement in the background. And he goes to swing, and right when he's about to swing this machete, mom turns, screams, and then her scream is cut off. Everybody zips upstairs. Now, this guy apparently had enough time to get blood, and right, you're next on the wall, behind the mother, as he's killed her, from the, the time it took them to run from downstairs to upstairs. Maybe that's possible. I don't know. Maybe he... I, he. Anyway, I'm not going to get too much into the semantics of that. Alright, so everybody comes in the room. They're freaked out. About this time, Aaron goes... I need to stop saying about this time. One thing I've said is I pointed out things to you on the last episode, or things that you tend to say and I went back and I listened to myself and I said about this time a lot so I'm, I'm making a note of that so this is when Erin is in the kitchen and she starts grabbing uh, knives and stuff but at this time <laughs> so a guy at 
reaches his arm through the window, grabs Aaron, and uh, is wanting to attack her. She immediately turns, stabs dude right through the wrist, and pins his arm to the wall with a knife. He starts screaming. And this is one of the things I like about uh, this movie and other movies that are kind of like it. Human villains. These guys can be injured and hurt. And they get injured and hurt a lot. And they're going to get injured and hurt a lot more. So this guy ends up getting away because she stabs him in the wrist, turns around, tries to grab something out of the drawer. And when she turns around again, he's gone. Classic horror movie things. So Drake's downstairs and his wife goes upstairs and kind of covers up uh, their mom. and Well, not her mom, but her husband's mom, their mother-in-law. Covers her up, kind of looks around for a bit, and then gets a feeling to look under the bed. So she looks under the bed, and you get a <laughs> peekaboo jump scare. You get a jump scare of this guy under the bed. You see, oh, I should have mentioned the killer is wearing. There's three of them, and they're wearing these different animal masks. There's like a fox, a sheep, and uh, something else. I don't know. And she sees this face pop out, and she screams bloody murder. Sprints downstairs. Opens the front door, knows to go under the wire, and just starts running. Drake tries to chase after his wife. He goes under the wire, but the arrow in his back catches the wire and hurts like crazy. He pulls it out, looks at it, and then faints. So now they got to pull him back inside. They're trying to get him stabilized. <laughs> you know, and so now Crispin is like, someone has to go get help. Someone has to run and go get help. It looks like Kelly was able to get away. Someone has has to get out of here. Crispin volunteers to run for a car and come back. Aaron says, I should come with you. And he's like, no, stay here. Keep everyone safe. I'm going to go. Now, there's another point before this that I kind of missed where Crispin sort of becomes a red herring. Uh, they go upstairs. Uh kind of right after Aaron really starts taking control of the situation. He's like, I've never seen you like this. And she runs in the bathroom to do something. And he kind of leans against the wall and takes a deep breath out. And there's just something about that scene. It was like, okay, I'm suspicious of this guy now too. So I love how you're picking up on these things. I did not uh, pick up on any of these key details yeah. that you have for these red so hands at all. They run. All right. Where was I? So anyway, so Crispin makes a run for a, uh, a car and he, he finds the car. I can't remember exactly what happens here. He kind of finds the car, but then comes back in to explain himself. Um, and then says he definitely needs to go get the car and leave and go into town and find somebody in between him leaving these two times. They show Kelly uh, Drake's wife running and she goes down to the neighbor's house. These are the neighbors that got killed in the opening scene. Um, and she goes there to kind of get help. She sees this guy sitting on a couch looking at a TV that's turned off, but there's a stereo playing this song and she's banging on the window. Let me in. Let me in. What's wrong with you? Why won't you let me in? I need some help. And as she's banging on it in the reflection of the window, you see the sheep's mask pop up. She turns around and this killer haymakers her right in the face and she explodes through the glass uh, the sliding glass door into this, this guy's living room, this dead guy's living room. She crawls around the couch, looks at the guy in the chair and he's dead. He's 
bleeding from his head and all that mess. She kind of passes out a little bit. She's like weak and he picks her up and throws yeah, her through another glass table. Yeah, I forgot about that. He picks her up, throws table. her through another glass table, and then he steps <laughs> on her head, and he uses his axe and like a golf club. He lines up her head, takes a golf swing, and just axes her right in the head. And the killer does this like almost orgasmic exhale. Like he's kind of enjoying this. This guy's a sick puppy, and he sits down next to the dead guy on the couch and just listens to the music. This guy's a freak, which, you know, he's killing people anyway, but this guy clearly loves it. So once we cut back, Crispin's like, oh, we should definitely go. He punks out. He gets in a car and runs because he's a wuss, but he says he's going to get help. But you can tell by his posture and his man, he's just scared. So he's getting out of there and uh, whatever. So Crispin's not the best character in the, in the movie. The best character in the movie is Aaron. You kind of heard me talk about how she's really taking control of the situation. And she, and this is the character that I think why Jason likes this movie so much. But she is the opposite of a scream queen. I don't know that she screams even once in this movie. And she's never helpless. She's smarter than everyone, including the killers. And it shows. And we find out a little later why that is. But right now, that's why it shows. So... Aaron is in the kitchen now getting weapons and she comes back out with a hand with like a, a, a tenderizing mallet, uh, a, a knife, several knives. And she says, Hey everyone, we need to have these weapons on us so we can defend ourselves. And when this happens, Kelly, the woman who gets killed in the neighbor's house, Drake's wife. Now remember Drake has passed out, gets thrown through the window back into the house. And she's kind of hanging over and everyone sees that, Oh, She's dead. And they're all shocked. And when she's hanging over the edge, the killer walks through the window. And he grabs Aaron. And Aaron quickly defends herself, like disarms him, puts him on the ground, and takes the tenderizing mallet and just ruins the back of this guy's head. Boom. So now, with every horror movie there ever is, this is the most gratifying moment where every time the the, the victim just gets uh, an edge on the on the killer they just hit him once and then they leave not this chick no. not this she chick hits him until he's dead 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 this dude is dead he turns she turns his head into hamburger meat with that mouth caves it in you could store your goods in there she ruins his day and immediately she takes off the dude's mask lifts his heads up and so in the room with her who she was bringing this equipment to was uh Z and um felix and she says does anybody recognize this guy neither of them do and uh from there aaron realizes that there are multiple killers she says there's definitely more than one based on what's happening there's one in the house with us and there's this one that i killed and oh are you sure there's one in the house she's like yeah there's definitely one in the house and so uh felix and z say okay let's go upstairs and check on dad Okay, if there's someone in the house, we need to check on dad. He's upstairs. Oh, oh, one of the lines I forgot about. Uh, so she kills this guy, wipes the um, the hammer off, and Felix goes, I'm sure Crispin's okay, because now she's seen Kelly get killed, and she ran off in the woods just like Crispin did. And Felix goes, I'm sure Crispin's okay. He's a tough guy. 
And she says, no, he's not, but thanks. She even knows he's just the biggest wuss in the movie. So dad's upstairs investigating and and, and Felix and Z are going to come up and just check on him. And while he's looking around, he discovers that closet from one of the early scenes in the movie where Crispin comes in and interrupts. He notices that there's bottles of pee in there and someone's been living in this closet and kind of monitoring them while they live here and watching them. And dad realizes, hey, this is a targeted attack. They specifically are looking for us. We need to find out what's going on. And when that happens, so he's looking in in some more closets, just kind of exploring the room. And as he opens one door, you see a killer in the background and he's looking around. So previously to this scene, the power went out. And so as he's looking in one of these closets, the power comes back on. He looks up. Oh, great. Power's back on. As he closes the door, you get a jump scare. You get Felix and Z. They both startle each other. And that's, and dad explains to them, Hey, this is a targeted attack. Whoever is doing this, they're coming after us specifically. They've been in our house. And while he's talking to them, he's backing up and a killer comes behind dad and cuts his throat with a machete right in front of Felix and Z. And he's bleeding everywhere. And dad kind of reaches for Z and not Z, excuse me, for Felix to give him, I don't know what, like a hug or to hold him up. And you can tell that Felix is just so grossed out that he can't even reciprocate and he backs off. And lets his dad fall to the floor. And this is when it's... With no no remorse. remorse. Kind of no remorse. So this is when it's revealed that Felix and Z are in on whatever's going on here. Because the... Yeah, he makes a comment to the killer. Did you seriously have to cut his throat right in front of me? And the killer takes his mask off. Not afraid to show Felix's face. And pulls out an earbud and says, did you say something? Man, that was so good. Uh, I love that part of the movie. So it was shocking to me. I know, obviously, you already figured it out. Yeah, I was shocked. I figured out pretty early on who the killer is. Um, And I'll tell you, I don't want to tell you what scene. I mean, you know who the killer is, but for people listening, I'll tell you what scene after it is. But we'll keep moving. Okay. And so now upstairs, dad's dead. We reveal that Felix and Z are in on it. The killer's up there. They're kind of chumming it up or whatever. Cut back downstairs. Aaron is downstairs and she is in the basement just kind of looking for more stuff. She's always thinking about what to do next and what can we do to prepare more. So she's in the in this door right outside the dining room where the that last killer, she turned his head into hamburger. So when she's in there, the crossbow wielding guy comes in to the kitchen and finds his fellow conspirator dead on the ground. Who was his actual, his we find out that later that it's his brother and he's livid. He lifts the table and throws it on the ground. And Z and Felix are upstairs and are like, why don't you go see that who that is? It's what we're paying you to do. And he's like, whatever. He goes downstairs. But before he can get downstairs, Aaron is hiding in the closet and she makes a, accidentally bumps a, a broom. It makes a noise. The killer knows she's in there. But what happens is 
while she's this killer's heading towards that room, Drake wakes up. And he kind of stumbles out. He's in a stupor. He looks at the killer and he goes, hey, just so nonchalantly. And then the killer starts pursuing him. And now Drake's like, okay, this guy's after me. He backs up. He tries to get away from him. And Aaron comes out of that closet, stabs him in the back with an ice pick. Guy freaks and runs off out the front door. And Drake's like, oh, thank you. And they kind of have some mutual respect for each other. They Did they move Kelly's body by this point? Because I know at this point in the movie, Drake doesn't know that his wife has died. Not with any certainty. Uh, and so Felix and Z run downstairs and they say this. They say, we heard noises. We stayed upstairs. They had no interest in helping. I don't know what, like that should have been a red flag there. Like what? You heard something and you just <laughs> stayed put? Anyway, uh, so she asks, how's dad, uh, Aaron asks, how's dad doing? Felix says, ah, he's great. Even though his throat is slit. He's up, he's upstairs. He's upstairs taking a he's nap. He's taking a nap. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, um, so everybody, so Aaron's like, okay, follow me. Let's go to the basement. Let's look for more tools. And so Aaron has seen Home Alone. They don't say this, but I know she's seen Home Alone because she starts setting up these traps. She nails, nails into a board that go all the way through and lays them down on the ground, nails up. And she has Z helping her with this. And Z asks Aaron, how, how do you know all this stuff? How are you this well prepared? And Eric, Aaron explains that, um, you know, her. She lived in a survivalist compound. Yeah, she's in a, like a her kid. dad was like a conspiracy theory guy, and he thought the world was going to end at any time. And he wanted his daughter to be prepared. They moved to Australia. Uh, Aaron has an Australian accent in this movie. They moved to Australia and come back. And she kind of, the way she talks about it makes it seem like she didn't see the value in it. But she certainly does now because she's in a situation where she's using it regularly. Now we cut to Felix and Drake are in the basement. And. Drake says something about Kelly and Felix breaks it to her. She's dead. You know, she's dead. Oh, you didn't know. I'm sorry to break it to you. And Drake is like livid. And he's like, shut up. Stop talking. Stop talking. And while he's doing this, Felix stabs Drake once. With a screwdriver. With a screwdriver. Twice. With another item. Third time. Fourth time. Fifth time. And he's got the fifth time and he's holding it in. And, and Drake at this point does one of the best bits of acting in the movie. Actually, before when the first stabbing happens, he looks down at it and he looks confused as to why his brother is doing this to him. And it's a great little piece of acting. It goes by real quick, but it's, it's really good. So he stabs him five times and Felix goes, would you just die already? This is hard enough for me classic and, yeah. and mind you he this is not getting stabbed five times with one screwdriver no he leaves a screwdriver in there and proceeds to stab him with four more screwdrivers totaling it to five screwdrivers that are impaled into his body right so he's dead that's our uh i wrote here our seventh kill so the body count's pretty high in this movie if you're a fan of slashers and this will feed that that part of you Okay, there's a lot in this movie, so I took a lot of notes, and it's really hard to surmise everything that happens. And I, I, ooh. 
Uh, so Aaron's downstairs with Z. They're finishing putting up these home alone traps. And Z looks at one of these boards with nails on it, stands behind her, behind Aaron, and raises it up to swing. And as she's about to swing, Aaron looks back and she quickly moves it to her side. And Aaron's like, oh, you're done with that? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Here you go. And Aaron says, okay, well, I'm going to go check on dad. And Z says, oh, why don't you let me do that? Because she knows dad's dead. But she's, oh, why don't you come with me? And Z says, ah, uh, actually, you know what? I'll stay around here and finish up. Uh, you know, whatever, you know, so we already know Z's in on it. So while Aaron goes upstairs, Z opens and unlocks the front door and leaves the door open to give these killers free access because she knows now that these, these nail traps at the bottom of the floorboards, when they come in the window, they're going to step on them. So she opens the front door to let him in that way. And it's just more kind of character development to show you who she side she's on. And that she is thinking a little bit. So Aaron does go upstairs to check on dad. Turns out he's dead. Surprise. Uh, but while she's looking at him, the killer shows up in the room. She turns around and throws like a hammer, one of the, the mallets at him. And then instead of standing there in the room, trying to fight a guy that's clearly outarmed her, she says from the second floor of this house, just jumps out the window. She just... No no hesitation, just bolts, at all. bolts right out the second store window. Glass goes everywhere, and she lands right on the ground. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. Great moment. So she's on the ground. Now she's got glass in her leg, but this is the way that she's going to have. She's like, she quickly calculates the odds, I guess. And she thinks fast. She says, okay, this guy's got, he could kill me. He jumps out the window. I got a better chance of living that way. She gets this glass in her leg. Uh, so she runs kind of off into the woods to get away from the killer in the house and is sitting there, pulls the glass out and she sees a bloody screwdriver on the ground and she realizes, okay, the guy I stabbed is nearby. Turns around, he's right there and he shoots a crossbow at her. He misses. And one of the little moments I like here, he has to stop and reload the crossbow here. It's just a little bit of realism. Like he's not, these guys are not supernatural killers. They are not Jason Voorhees. They have to reload their weapons. They cannot teleport. They can be hurt. Their heads can be turned into hamburger. Okay. So the crossbow guy missed his shot. Aaron runs back in the house, comes in the front door that Z unlocked, turns around, locks it. Wait. So actually what she did, what Z did to help the killers help protect Aaron. Because Aaron was able to get in that unlocked front door that would normally have been locked. So it kind of inadvertently worked against Z's plan. Okay. So the killer that was in the woods is chasing Aaron into the house. And when he gets to the door, he looks down and he sees a set of the nail boards pointing up. So he's like, eh, I just won't step on those. So he, he goes to step in and there's two sets of nail boards, one of which is close to the wall and he can't see. He steps full on this joker. That nail goes straight through and he's screaming and he's down on the ground. He's like, you. And then he says some expletives. We're not PG here, but I don't want to push it. But he says some things, some bad words, and he strings them all together. And uh, in this point, it's so great to see this killer who's caused so much torture to this family being just raving, Just raving in pain right now. Yeah, it's awesome. So 
Felix is upstairs with Z and one of the killers. They hear, so I might have mixed up two of the scenes before where I said he sent the killer downstairs. I think that's actually this scene here. They're upstairs with the killer, Z and Felix, and this is when he says to the killer, go down and check on that noise of this guy screaming down in the, the kitchen or the dining room. And uh, that's what I pay you to do. So killer goes downstairs, but we stay upstairs with Z and Felix. And Z is a lunatic. All right. So this is the same room that Felix's dead mom is in. She's covered up on the bed. He sits down on the bed, heads in his hands. He's like, what a mess. What a mess this has turned into. And Z gets turned on by this, I guess. And she moves on him. Takes off her shirt, revealing her bra. Right. Starts to be like, let's go. Let's go. And he's like, uh... My mom's right here and she's dead. We're not doing this. But she's like, oh, you never want to do anything exciting. And he says to her, uh, I don't think that's a fair criticism. And it's it's funny in the context of he's setting up all these people to be killed. All of this excitement tonight is because of him setting all this up. It's not a fair criticism on her part. That's a true statement by him. But she's like, well, if that's not true, why don't you have sex with me next to your dead mom? What the hell is wrong with you? I, Man, what what sick, twisted Tinder website did he pick this chick up at? <laughs> you know? I don't know. But right from the get, you know that there's something off about her. But she's worse. She's the worst. All right. She's, anyway. So Felix actually um, monologues at this point, talking to... Uh, Z about the situation. He just starts monologuing about what's going on, uh, about having to kill his family so he can get this inheritance, uh, that cause their parents are really rich. So if he kills his family and his siblings, he gets all the money and we're talking millions and millions of dollars. Well, Aaron hears this. So now Aaron is privy to the fact that these two are in on this. So, in the dining room, the killer kind of confronts Felix. Now he's lost his brother. So Felix is like, well, I'm going to pay you more then. You got to finish the job. We're almost there. Finish the job. I'll pay you more. You'll get, that's your brother. You'll get his his payment, which was 200000 with your 200000 Plus I'll throw in an extra 100000 So you get a half a million dollars. And you other guy, beardy man, you get... $300,000 because everybody was going to get $200,000 for this sort of whatever they were doing. Um, now at this point, we're still kind of wondering where the hell is Crispin? He really took off on these people. He's gone. So earlier in the movie, when they didn't have cell signal, she, uh, Aaron texts 911. She says some places you can text 911. And so after this monologue and telling the killer and raising her, their rates, the text message goes off saying it's been received by 911. The problem is, is the killers here at the text notification go off. And so she's kind of behind these curtains and the killer comes up and she gets in a, in a, a fighting pose. And as soon as he opens the curtains, she throat punches dude in the neck and uh, she runs outside and using her brain, being the smart person, as soon as she goes outside, she doubles back and comes in the open window in the dining room. So Z, 
Felix and beardy crossbow killer guy run off into the woods. Foot stabbed guy goes back around where um, Aaron went and kind of doubles back because he suspects that she's gone back around in through the window. So she he peeks his head in, looks to the left, looks to the right, and Aaron is ready. Stabs dude. Boom. Right in the forehead. And guy kind of backs up and tips over. And you just see her standing in the window with the axe in hand, looking just badass. And he's dead. He's done. So now we only got one killer left. Well, not including Felix and Z. Aaron at this point, remembering all her favorite parts of Home Alone, sets up an axe trap at the front door. Where if you open the front door, this axe has a brick tied to it. It's going to swing down, hit you right in the face. So we cut back out to the woods. The killer is there with Z and Felix. And he says, let's split up. You know, I'm going to go back because she probably doubled back. But Felix and Z are like, no, what if she's down the road? She's going to get to, you know, 911. The cops could be on their way. All that thing. So the killer's like, let's just split up. They, Felix and Z want the crossbow. He's like, fine, whatever. I don't care. Because this guy is just doesn't care. And he goes back into the house. And Felix and Z have the crossbow outside. She runs down. Aaron runs down into the basement. Because she sees the killer come in the house. So she zips down to the basement and actually sets up a trap for this guy. She gets her camera going, sets the auto flash, and it takes pictures every one and a half second or so. And the killer comes down, knows where she is because this camera's going off, but he's too stupid to realize it's a trap. He gets down there. Aaron grabs a chunk of wood and turns this guy's head into hamburger. No remorse. She crushes dude. So to expound upon that, the reason she's doing that flashing is it's kind of a disorientation of his vision. So if you're ever in a dark room and someone flashes a camera light at you, it's really disorienting. You really don't know where you're at. So he's not really seeing her. And then when he gets when he gets close enough to the camera to turn it off, that's when she comes in with that log and smashes his brain in. So I just made a note here. Aaron, don't play. She's going to kill these guys dead. They are not going to get a chance to get her again. Once she has the advantage, she closes the deal. She's awesome. So Aaron goes back upstairs and Felix tries to shoot at her through the window with the crossbow. And he misses because he's garbage. Uh, Z takes the crossbow <laughs> from Felix and goes inside after Aaron. Felix goes to the trunk of his car, opens the trunk and turns off the cell jammer. So... Remember at the beginning of the movie when he said, maybe they have a cell jammer. He knew that. I don't know why he was tipping his hand, but he knew that they had a cell jammer because he was the one who set it up. Z goes into the kitchen. Aaron chases after her and starts to wrestle with Z. Felix runs in the room. Aaron grabs this pot off the stove, which you had seen her boiling earlier. And I don't know if it was supposed to be a trap or not. She flings it at Felix and it just splashes on him. He goes, that wasn't even hot. And he slips on this water, busts his butt. He's down. And she kind of incapacitates Z a little bit, like choking her out. And uh, Felix starts to get, come back now. Aaron grabs this glass blender and bashes it over his head. And then she takes the blender, turns it upside down. So now she's broken the glass on it. There's all these shards now poking down. And she just stabs it right on Felix's head and turns the blender on. This is the other scene where I said the special effects were kind of funky. It looked like 
Orange Julius coming out. And but other than it was a great kill because he she puts it on his head, turns the blender on. He's this is not a good way to go. Turns around because Z now tries to stop her from turning her head and this dude's head into a smoothie. She turns around, stabs her right in the top of the head, right in the crown of the head. And she's kind of slumps back. So now Aaron has won. Aaron has killed everybody. Just everyone. They're all dead and she's done it with the exception of the people that um, killers killed. And what's beautiful about this, Aaron, if you count the body count, she actually has more dead bodies underneath her fingers than the, the three killers in the beginning of this film. So she's sitting on the kitchen floor. Victory in hand. Everybody's dead. She's kind of resting. And Felix's phone rings. She answers the phone. Doesn't say a word. Just waits. And you hear Crispin on the other end. Is it done, Felix? Felix, I know you're mad at me for not helping. But you know I'm not good with that violent stuff. I'm a pacifist. Felix, come on. It's cold out here. I'm coming in the house. So now we know Felix is in on it. He mentions one of the lines Crispin. he says is, I know you're Crispin, excuse me. Crispin is in on it. And he says, I know you're mad at me for not following up on this one. I set it all up. And so now Aaron knows without a shadow of a doubt, Crispin has is actually kind of the mastermind. Felix is the dumb dumb, but he's the one who's who can stomach the blood. But Crispin, although he's a wuss, sounds like he was the brains of the operation. And so he starts talking to her and apologizing to her. And, and she says, well, what would you think would happen if I died? And he's like, no, you wouldn't have died. It was in the plan for you to be the witness. You had to live. You had to be the witness to say that someone came in and killed my family. That way I'm exonerated and I get my inheritance with my brother Felix. Then he gets this idea. Well, you know what's great, honey? As you killed... Well, before this, he goes, Hey, where's Felix? She says, I stuck a blunder on his head, turned it on, and killed him. <laughs> he goes, Oh, that's understandable. And then he asks where Z is, and she says, I killed her too. He's like, Oh. Because now, there's a scene that I forgot to say. The, the scene where I knew that Crispin was in on it, was the scene where Z and um, Aaron were building the boards and she asked Aaron about her past. And she talks about, yeah, I was in this and I did this, sur- I did the survival thing, you know, and she says, yeah, it's not even something I've told Crispin. And I said, ah, Crispin didn't know that he had a badass for a girlfriend. So he thought he could just leave her in there and she'd be helpless. And that's where I knew that Crispin was a part of this. So let's get this Props movie done Props to you, with. man. Props to you because I did not know that. Let's get this movie done with. Uh, Crispin kind of lays out his plan, says now they get all of the, the money. And as he's talking to her, he's like, well, listen, we can, we can pay off your student debt and we can get out of here. And he's kind of trying to salvage this, salvage this relationship. And she goes well, that's enough of this, and stabs him in the eye. And so now he's dead. So now she's got so many kills. But right after she stabs him in the eye, there's a cop outside. He looks in the window, sees this woman stabbing him in the eye, 
opens fire, shoots her in the shoulder and she goes down. So the cop's like, okay, I'll go around the front. And he goes in the front door. She's crawling on the ground because she's got a bullet in her arm. And she sees the door start to open with the cop coming in. And she goes, no. And the axe drops. And we roll credits. Oh, my goodness. What a fantastic film. All right. So I can't wait for this grade. Here we go. Here we go. <laughs> I had so much fun watching this movie. It's right up my alley it let me pat myself on the back real quick. you did a good job because i like a slasher fig i like a horror movie but i don't like elements that are i don't there's a type of horror movie i don't like where things get really really disturbing and, and i'm more of a jason fan as opposed to a hereditary fan hereditary is too much for me I like being able to get to sleep after watching a movie and I can go to sleep after watching this one. So, but it's fun. It's thrilling. Lots of action. Great jump scares. Great atmosphere. You get that eeriness of seeing something in the shadows and not being sure what's going on. You get the mystery of whodunit. It is, we keep comparing it to Scream. It is on that level. It's fantastic. It doesn't have the great, characters that scream has scream has like this great ensemble cast and everybody's great in it and this really just has one character two characters if you count drake but he gets bumped off pretty early it really has one character who's great and uh i like seeing strong female characters and especially in this genre where they are scream queens and helpless and they run upstairs when they should run out the front door this woman doesn't, when she runs out the front door, she's doing it as a way to get this guy dead. She's not afraid. She's awesome. And it's a B plus for me. What would etch it to the A if I cared about the characters a little more? Uh, you look at a movie like It and Scream. I want those characters to survive. This is a, is a, is a movie like a Friday the 13th, which I love. Don't hear that I don't love it. But the characters are fodder. They're there to be murdered, and that's fine. That's what this movie is. But it's going to be hard to achieve anything higher than a B- minus if I don't emotionally connect with the characters. But I had a hell of a lot of fun watching the movie. So you gave it a B+, plus, right? B+, plus is the official grade. I'm cool with that. I definitely accept that grading. I thought it was Well, it doesn't matter. Well, that's true. I mean, it really doesn't matter. But Let's I just am... reiterate. I get to choose. <laughs> you gave the movie. It's a B+. Plus. Now, I'm glad you're happy with that. I am happy. That's where I would put it. It was great fun. So with the letter grades thing, I think sometimes B can seem almost like a bad grade. B is a good movie. It's a four-star movie. It's it's great. It's just not a masterpiece. And that's fine. It's not going to be a masterpiece. I love it. B plus. So your turn. All right, man. So at the end I am of... curious. Yes. Did I do it? So, I, at the end of the last episode, you sound so depressed about having to watch They Came Together. I'm really wanting to know how you feel. The end of the first episode, I was definitely not excited about seeing this. I remember you suggested this movie a long time ago. I remember seeing the the poster board of the film, the name of the film, They Came Together, and I just wasn't excited. But 
just when I just thought you couldn't be any dumber, you go and suggest a movie like this and totally redeem yourself. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I'm so, yes. This uh, I'm not going to give to the letter grade right off the bat, but I can say that I enjoyed this film. This film is called They Came Together. It stars, it stars Paul Rudd, Amy Poehler, Bill Hader, uh, Jason Manzukis. I love that curly haired bastard. Uh, <laughs> Ed Helms and the guy from uh, what is that that TV show Law and Order uh, Christopher Maloney that's his name which character was he uh, he's the the boss the boss of CSR. oh yeah, yeah yeah I I okay no but I mean who was he in um and they came together he was the boss in CS oh, in CS yeah the boss uh, oh at uh, Candy Research Institute yes yeah. CSR mm-hmm. or C so system CSR. It it stars an an ensemble cast, great actors and actresses. Uh, So the the synopsis of this film, I'll just sum it up really quick in a few short words. Uh, The movie makes fun of romantic movie genres the entire time. That's that's basically what it is. So the film opens up at a restaurant. They're eating dinner. You have Paul Rudd, Amy Poehler, Bill Hader and Ellie Kemper. She's that chick from The Office. Yeah, or if you watched um, uh, the red hair Netflix office, show, yeah. what is it? Uh, Kimmy Schmidt on Netflix. Yes, her. So it opens up. They're having dinner, and <laughs> I just love how it's set up. So they're they're basically telling the story of, of kind of how they met each other. But Bill Hader, you can tell, just seems to hate his wife. <laughs> He's just ragging on the whole time. The so I'm, I'm going to refer to Paul Rudd's character and Amy Poehler's character as their, their character named Joel, Joel and Molly. They're telling the story of how they fell in love. And it, it cuts to the beginning of the movie. So just picture two couples having dinner together and they want to sh- tell this romantic story of how, how they fell in love. Uh, it cuts to the scene where they're flying over New York. Just the, the stereotypical love story movie where it shows B-roll of historic uh, of great scenes in new york and it just they tell the backstory of each other so joel is a very successful he's a very successful executive at a corporation he's got this model of a girlfriend and it kind of shows their relationship status right out of the beginning they're laying in bed together and he rolls over and tells her i love you and she rolls over and says hmm and I admire your spirit. <laughs> you can tell immediately off the bat, this woman is not is not the right one for him. He's head over heels in love with this woman, and she's not reciprocating it. And then she Molly begins to tell. And again, they're telling this story at a dinner table, and you just see these scenes of them kind of acting it out. It, it's great. Molly opens up. And she says how clumsy she, clumsy she is. <laughs> She's coming out of bed, knocking everything over. She goes to the closet to, to get some shoes. All the shoe boxes fall on top of her head. <laughs> it's hilarious. Uh, Molly then reveals that Molly owns a candy shop that's called the Upper Sweet Side, which is a really great name for a candy shop. If I were to ever open up one in New York, I'd probably name it that too. Uh, she, she then goes into talking about how she loves to make sweets 
And one of the great lines in the film is she goes, all right. And, you know, just in every romantic comedy, there's always a reference about sex where they're saying, you know, something is to die for. It's better than sex. So in her line, she goes in there. She says, you guys have not lived until you tried my creamy caramel clusters. <laughs> they're better than sex. And Bill Hader's character. I don't know the name of his character. Uh, just Bill his Hader, name is Kyle. Man. Yeah, it's Bill Hader. The character's name is Kyle. But Bill Hader says, well, when you buried his, when you've been married as long as we have, Taking a stinking shit is better than having sex. <laughs> it is the best line. <laughs> and then, so, you know, they, they think it's a joke. Joel and Molly are just kind of laughing and chuckling at each other. And Bill Hader's face is just dead cones, <laughs> dead stone, serious face. <laughs> he is not joking whatsoever. So then it cuts back to Joel to expound upon his character. It shows that he's working at that corporation, CSR, which is called Candy Systems Research. You can definitely tell this corporation is the bad guy in the film. Joel's assistant, Millie, is on the phone. She's talking about... She, she's talking about, yeah, I invited this guy over and he went down on me for one second and I came. <laughs> and then she goes, oh, hold on, my boss is coming. Bye, Dad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, uh, just nonchalantly so talking about that. Before we move on, let's. I want to point out that this plot of her owning this little candy shop and him be working for this big bad corporation is directly pulled from the movie They've Got Mail. Because... Um, Meg Ryan's character in that owns a bookstore and uh, Tom Hanks's character works for the big bad book company. And so that's just a direct pull right from that genre. Uh, and it's what it's spoofing. And I'm sure just like Spaceballs makes fun of Star Wars and all those films. I'm sure this movie, they came together, makes fun of a whole bunch of romantic comedies, which I do like that genre. Unfortunately, I have not seen majority of those type of films so i'm sure i'm gonna miss most of those references but hey well, that's what i'm glad where i got you for well and that's and there might be more because it's it's not a genre i've seen a ton of movies in but that to me is the biggest one i can't really think of any other ones um but maybe if they come to me while you while you keep re rehashing the story absolutely so it cuts to the next scene and this is where we get jason manzoukas his name is bob like I said, this curly-haired bastard, I love him, and he's hilarious. I've seen him in other films as well. The, the House with Will Ferrell, I think he's hilarious in that. So that's where you it kind of sets up where Bob knows Joel has his commitment, commitment issues, and Bob even acknowledges in the film that uh, he's saying, oh, well, finally, you're, gonna, you're thinking about asking Tiffany to marry you. Uh, that's showing you that you're actually overcoming your commitment issues. And so he's like, yeah. So they start to play a game of catch using a Nerf ball and they're throwing it back and forth to each other. He's like, hey, man, go for a post. He goes for a post and Bob goes to back up to throw a long pass. He goes like in a shotgun position, backs up too far and defenestrates himself. <laughs> <laughs> he just breaks through the window. And, just and now on this high rise building. And now he's... Again, they're in the corner office of this high-rise building. And he just falls, breaks the window, falls out. And he's holding on for dear life. And my jaw is just agape right now. <laughs> that's great. And it's... Uh, and you, that's you think the Joel... moment where I knew I loved the movie. When that happened, I was in all the way. Joel goes, Joel goes, hey, Bob, you okay? And right before he's about to lend a helping hand, you can tell the antagonist of the guy comes in. His name is Trevor. Uh, I don't know then. I don't He's know the Michael name of the Ian actor. Black. Michael Ian Black, yeah. <laughs> His name is Trevor, and 
as again, instead of helping his friend Bob out, who's hanging from like the 80th floor of this high rise building, he goes to have a direct conversation with Trevor. <laughs> <laughs> and you can tell Trevor is the total douche in romantic movies. He's the 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 equivalent unequivocal douchebag in these type of romantic films. And he just asks him, he, he, he goes, hey. Hey, you're gonna mess up this big account. So you're gonna you're gonna lose this big account again. The Dick for Ricker our, account. Yeah, you're gonna mess up our Dick Ricker account. And you know what? When you mess that up, I'm gonna get it, and I'm gonna get the big promotion. Just so arrogant about it. Just that typical douche. And then so he he goes, all right, bye. And then he leaves the room. And then he comes back. He just kind of holds his hand out and starts leaning over. And he goes, Hey, is your girlfriend Tiffany home right now? And he goes, Uh. Well, Joel says, yeah, yeah she, she should be. And he goes, oh, okay. And he just, there's a bowl of condoms <laughs> sitting in the office. <laughs> and he Which picks is them like, up. why? <laughs> <laughs> like, usually there's, you know, a candy dish or something. It's just a bowl of condoms. <laughs> he, pick, <laughs> he picks it up and puts it onto his finger and starts swiveling it like he's the Harlem Globetrotter with a ball or something. <laughs> And so, you know, a cutscene, they're back at the restaurant. So, so before Paul Rudd's character asks, why do you need to know whether Tiffany's home? And he picks up that, that rubber, spins yeah. it on his finger, and he goes, no reason. <laughs> and so it cuts back to the restaurant scene, and Bill Hader, Bill Hader just hearing this story, and he says, it sounds like that Trevor guy is trying to get, is trying to get it on with your girlfriend. And Joel replies, in retrospect, I agree with you, but at the time... He was just grabbing a condom out of the rubber bowl and heading to meet my girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> oh my good! Oh my goodness, man! So obviously, this part in the film sets up the sets up the the conflict between both characters. And again, that you touched on, you touched on it kind of early for me. The big corporation. Uh, that he, his corporation, big candy store, and she's the little shop. Uh, called the upper sweet side. So they cut back to the scene where she's with her best friend at this candy store. And mind you, there's signs everywhere saying these all proceeds go to charity. <laughs> so she's not doing it for the money. <laughs> she's not making any money. <laughs> she's making no money. And this kid comes in and he's buying this a big old bag of candy. And she goes, that'll be that'll be a hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's free. And he just walks out the <laughs> walks store. Walks out free candy. <laughs> and so they say, all of a sudden, she makes this remark. And it, again, this is making fun of romantic films. Oh, my life is perfect. This candy store. There's nothing bad ever gonna happen. We're gonna keep this open forever. And it cuts to the scene where across the street. It says future home of candy systems and research superstore <laughs> right in front of her candy shop. <laughs> Again, right out of uh, you've got mail. And so she's starting to feel worried uh, about her finances, which <laughs> it's just funny that all, she makes no money anyway. So she goes to see her head accountant, who is Ed Helms in the film, and his name is Egbert. <laughs> <laughs> Ed Helms is great in this movie. And and if you don't know what the term Egbert is, I'll let Jeff talk about that. But it's obviously someone who's really good, really mindful, and really good with money. He's an Egbert, right? So, I didn't know that. You're teaching me something new. Oh wow. Okay. So so they're sitting down in front of they're sitting down in in front of Egbert's 
desk and they're going over going over their finances and he's just flipping through her paperwork and this is where they set up another love interest as they always do in all the romantic films there's always somebody else trying to grab the attention of the, of the lead actress and so he just makes a segue comment goes so molly how's your love life going <laughs> <laughs> And he he obviously knows that she just went through a painful breakup with her, with her boyfriend Frank, and he proceeds to start saying, "Oh yeah, you know I got divorced, uh, and I got a." And she asks, "Why did you get a divorce?" He goes, "Well, I got a divorce because you know I wanted to settle down, I wanted to have kids, and you know obviously she didn't." And Molly asks, "Well, what did she want? Did she not?" You know, did she not want to have the same things? And he says, well, why don't you just that's something you need to ask my brother about. And obviously that's just like an, an ouch moment. Like, you know, she she obviously feels sorry for what he just said. They're just pausing there, just pondering what he just said to her. And it's just a really awkward silence. And then she just bends over. She goes, so is he here? Can I ask him? <laughs> <laughs> and so so Egg, Egbert is saying. Yeah, yeah, he's actually here. Keith, get over here. He's <laughs> sitting right behind him. So he comes over and explains to her why he doesn't, why she didn't want to pursue continuing their marriage with him. And Keith said, well, she just wanted to travel more. She wanted to focus on a photojournalism career and just marriages. Marriages wasn't not conducive to that. And they look at each other. Oh, OK. Oh, thanks, Keith. <laughs> thanks, Keith. And he goes back and sits back down to crunch some numbers. <laughs> <laughs> and so the, so then she finally breaks breaks that off and says, all right, well, you know, can you tell me how am I looking when it comes to our business? And he goes, well, if you're looking at a as a business standpoint, unfortunately, looking at these numbers, you have breast cancer. And she's like, what? Yeah. Oh, my <laughs> he goes, gosh. Well. <laughs> He's like, no, well, you have you have business breast cancer. And I, I can see that you have about six months to live to look up these numbers. Here, take a look. And he well, hands her a piece of paper. Goes, so your business great part that Amy Poehler does, because he opens it because based on these numbers, you have breast cancer. She's like, what? She goes, uh, businessly speaking. And she goes, oh, my God. Oh, no. Like, <laughs> like relief. And then like, oh, wait. It's just as bad, just on the business side. He hands her a page, and you're thinking it's going to be some type of Excel spreadsheet, just calculating how much he revenue she takes in, how much she pays out. But no, it's just binary numbers with ones and zeros all yeah. over it. <laughs> and so Egbert just after receiving the paperback, he just go ahead and he goes full force with it. He says, "Hey, you know, do you let's open, let's pursue a relationship together?" And Molly just obviously rejects him. Calls him a part. Egg fart. You know, egg fart is just is not a good time for me. And he's obviously defeated. And he goes, this is an awkward silence. He goes, well, well I'm going to leave now. And this is his office. This is I'm going to leave now. And she goes, well, wait, this you're, you're going to leave? Yeah, yeah, I'm out of here. You stay put. So it cuts back to Joel. And it mirrors every other romantic comedy or just romantic film out there where if any point that the main character needs to make an important decision such as asking for a hand in marriage he has to ask his boys and they're out playing basketball right now and this is where we have i love this scene keenan thompson yeah and um mcbriar the what's his name yeah well they have you'd recognize him he's jack, on 30 rock. jack, jack McBriar. mcbriar 
<laughs> you have Keenan Thompson, and they're just shooting basketball. And they're saying, a, you're hearing, as they're playing the game of basketball, they're all just saying, basketball, basketball, basketball. <laughs> they're shooting they're shooting twos and threes and hitting nothing but the back of the board and calling swish. Swish! <laughs> and it always has that one friend who is just a player. He only goes on one dates and always scores. Telling him, hey, you know, love isn't about love isn't about love. It's just about scoring. And he throws the ball in the air to shoot a, to shoot a hoop and it goes way over the basket. Swish. Yeah, he yells, swish. <laughs> and so he's like, you know what? Thanks, guys, for the talk. I'm going to combine all your inner, all your thoughts that you provided me together. And I've come up with the decision that I'm going to ask Tiffany to marry me. <laughs> so he goes home. He has boxes he has a box of chocolate in his hand red roses and he just he comes to the door saying hello tiffany hello (laughs) and and you just hear moaning in the background (laughs) loud moaning (laughs) loud unmissable moaning (laughs) just you hear the moaning coming from the bedroom and it's just oblivious to Joel, he's he keeps repeating himself hello tiffany hello (laughs) he's 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 walking into the home. He goes into the bedroom and you can see visibly that the the bathroom light is on. That's where the the, the sounds of the moaning are being produced. And he, he has his back to the bathroom. He's unbuttoning his shirt. And <laughs> Trevor and Tiffany bust through the bathroom door and just start going at it on the on the bed itself. And Joel is still oblivious He's to what's going on. He's got his back turned to him. And he's like, he starts his speech. He's like, Tiffany, I've given a lot of thought about this. And Trevor's just back there hammering away on her. And he's starting his speech, trying to get to ask her to marry her, marry him. He he turns around and he sees them <laughs> just going at it, cheating on him. And she goes, oh, my God, you know, what are you doing here? I'm here to ask you to marry me. She goes, I've been... And he's like, you're doing it with Trevor. She goes, well, I've been cheating on you with Trevor for over a year now. <laughs> and he's he's distraught. He ends up leaving the house and going to a bar and just drinking himself, drinking himself uh, to, to, to help ease his pain. Throughout the film, we've, we've seen it's building up the character of Mo- of Molly and Joel. And Bill Hader says something exactly what I'm thinking. It cuts back to the restaurant scene. He goes... So when are you going to get to the part where you actually meet each other? <laughs> and they're like, oh, yeah, all right. So this is where they set up the mutual friends holiday Halloween party where Bob and his wife are setting up blind dates for each other. And they're invited to the same costume Halloween party. So Mo- Molly and Joel actually dress up as Benjamin Franklin together. <laughs> they're they're. They're putting on the costume in their house and they're strolling down the street, getting ready to go to this awesome costume party. And they end up bumping into each other, dropping their apples. And I forgot what other item they had in the, in the brown bag. So they drop it and immediately hate each other. Yeah. Hey, watch where the hell we're watch out where the hell you're going. Oh, it's your fault that you weren't paying attention. You know what? I, you know, they're just showing, I hate you already. I don't even know you. I just met you and I hate you. Well, you're lucky I'm about to go to a Halloween party right now where I'm about to meet this awesome girl. It's just going to be totally awesome. I'm about to go to a Halloween party. I'm going to meet this awesome guy they have set up for me. Well, I'm going to go there right now. And they end up walking the same direction. Oh, you're, why are you following me? Well, I'm going this way to the party. And so they show up at the, the front 
the front door of this apartment complex uh, in, in New York City. And they're like, oh, well, great. Now we're going to be in the same building together. And as they go to go in the elevator we'll and be press in the up same. Soon. <laughs> they go into the elevator and they press the same button for the same floor. Oh, great. Now our party's on the same floor. We're lucky we're not gonna be in the we're not gonna be in the same room. They end up knocking on the same door together. Oh, great. <laughs> so they open up the door and Bob is greeting them and saying, Hey, you came together. <laughs> they, they came together. Which is what you call a, tit- a titular line. So we're at this Halloween party. And, and people randomly is... in this Halloween party are going, it's Halloween, it's Halloween, it's Halloween, it's Halloween. I love Halloween. And they're they're all dressed up. And this is by far one of the best scenes in the movie. So you get to the part where you, you've already met the boss and it's the boss of the Candy Systems and Research. <laughs> I got it out. Yes. <laughs> and this is... This is Christopher Maloney. This is the guy from Law and Order. And I'm sure he's been in other films and other TV shows. But this is where I've known him. Known him. He's so awesome in this movie. <laughs> he's wearing this this superhero costume. It has a cape. It's a kind of like a leotard. It's zipped up all the way to it's his back. It's a one piece. It's a, it's a onesie. And he says, hey. He says, so he goes, hey, uh, where's your bathroom? Oh, it's over there. So he goes into the bathroom and you see that he, he, he's he got to take this massive dump and he's having the damn this time trying to get his costume off. He he can't reach the zipper in the back of his neck. He's trying to pull it down. He kind of he, he kind of puts his back to the wall as if a bear is trying to scratch a post and he's trying to use the, he's trying to use the hand cloth rack to kind of get the zipper down. <laughs> And somebody <laughs> knocks on the door and he's like, hey, this is Occupado. Occupado, Occupado. And then you see the frustration on his face. And all of a sudden he he kind of just stops and just makes this relief sound like, oh. And you could just see his face just having, he's just relieved that he's just, he's, he's taking the dump right in his super suit. <laughs> and the scene cuts. <laughs> The, the scene cuts and everyone's uh, sitting in the living room and you could see you can see the boss and what the name what is the the character the, Roland R- Roland you can see Roland he's in a completely new costume <laughs> he's, he has it's a, not even a costume it's a bath towel it's a, and a shower cap it's a shower cap and he has obviously the guest sorry he has a bathrobe and a shower cap and it's obviously Bob's bathroom and shower cap (laughs) and he's sitting there having a conversation and keenan thompson's character comes up to him and he says hey uh you were wearing that superhero costume right he goes yeah and he goes so you shit your pants he he says this i got it yeah yeah, he goes up he goes hey roland you want to explain why your superhero costumes in the bathroom filled with shit So Jeff, <laughs> you're exactly right. So Roland then starts to explain himself, and 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 so Keenan Thompson's character says, "Uh, you shit your pants and took a shower and left your costume on the bathroom floor." And he goes, "No, man, that that definitely wasn't me." And he goes, "And and also, why are there why is there shit all over the washcloth too?" <laughs> and Bob is saying, "We just what we just got those washcloths. Those are decorative." <laughs> 
And it's so Roland starts to explain himself. He goes, well, I mean, the only thing I can guess is someone else must have gone into the bathroom, put my costume on, shit in it, and left it there. (laughs) 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 And so he then stands up and he goes, all right, we're going to get to the bottom of this. Okay, which one of you people have gone into the bathroom, put my costume on, and shit in it? (laughs) And no one answers. He goes, wow. I'm ashamed of everyone here. And then proceeds to leave the party. Closes the door behind him. <laughs> keeps the shower cap and bathrobe on. And Bob, in the, in the dead silence of the room, Bob goes, so who do you think it was? <laughs> <laughs> and then, <laughs> that is my, I, I know you have to agree with me. That is the That's my favorite. It, yeah. yeah. Uh, I That's, Turn face turning blue laughing watching that scene because that guy Roland and what makes it so great is that Roland is this super serious VP of this huge company and him being in that scene filling his pants and then calmly explaining on the couch that clearly someone else put his costume on pooped in it and then left it on the floor is so funny it's so good. <laughs> so finally, it cuts to the part where they're they're finally hitting off. I'm going to skip uh, the majority of the scenes where they they're still hating each other. They meet in a they meet in a book they meet into a a bookstore. They're still visibly hating each other. I'll, I'll skip the part where they talk about Aunt Flo. It's pretty funny, but oh, it, it's well. It's the only thing good, you but... need to know is that they share a love of fiction books, and she realizes that he loves his bubby who is his grandma and they decide to go get coffee yes absolutely that's the one that's a great point uh, his bubby is his grandmother <clears throat> so they finally hit it off they have coffee together at the coffee shop and i should have wrote down the coffee order that she had it's but it's as long it, yeah. yeah it's long and elaborate and it's actually the number three uh coffee on the menu <laughs> so yeah. it's kind of to show that he he takes the time to actually listen to what she's saying comprehended and to repeat it back it's it's a loving moment in, in her eyes so it's it's a successful date it's time to seal the deal with a kiss and she he's on her stoop right outside of her apartment and again joel has commitment issues and he can't commit to the kiss making some lame excuse that the way she says hey is the exact same way his <laughs> ex-girlfriend says hey and he just can't he can't deal with it <laughs> yeah, tiffany always used to say that to me hey uh, Hey, the word hey? Just like that. (laughs) She said it all the time. And so he leaves. She's obviously mad. He he knows he made a big mistake. And this is where he has this big epiphany uh, that his, he he even says in the film that his inability to open up his dream coffee shop, and that's one of his big dreams, to open up his dream coffee shop was in many ways was a metaphor of his inability to follow through with his romantic life. This, that's, that's the big epiphany moment in there. So he finally he, he finally overcome those commitment issues, finds Molly, explains to her, and they share this passionate kissing scene. Just I'm going to say it just like every other romantic movie out there. And they start breaking every object in the apartment. Just like yeah. 
they're just well, knocking like, over almost, bosses. So they kind of start off where it's like they're just in the throes of passion of kissing one another and they're accidentally knocking stuff over. But shortly thereafter, they start going out of their way to knock stuff over. Like she he picks up a Bosma plant as she throws <laughs> it against the wall. <laughs> and they trash the kitchen. It's awesome. And it cuts to the scene that's the next morning. There's clothes everywhere. There's a bra hanging on the chair. And like you can you can tell that they just they just did the deed. And it cuts to, <laughs> the camera pans up to them in bed and they're still fully clothed <laughs> kissing each other. Yeah. <sighs> it's great. So they so Molly is now she hasn't used the word love, but you could tell that she's in love with Joel. She's starting, she's starting to realize that he's the one. And this is the time where she has to bring Joel to meet her parents. Yeah. Big moment for any couple. Any couple. The, the time that you, you take your, 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 your romantic love to meet your parents, you, it's getting towards the side of serious into a relationship. So they go to Molly's house. They enter the home and he's greeting his his family for the first time. Well, greeting her family for the first time. She introduces his her mom and her dad to him. He they, they, he shakes he shakes his hand. They end up going to another room and he sit he's just talking to Molly's mom. And she she, she turns around and she 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 pulls down her blouse, revealing some black laundry underneath. Saying hi, Joel. Uh, you're gonna take me now. You're gonna shag me, rotten. Do you like what you see? <laughs> Do you like what you see? And Joel declines immediately and says, "You know, whoa, what are you doing? I'm dating your your daughter, Molly." And she she pulls up her blouse, relieved. Ah, oh, you passed the test. She goes, <laughs> "Good the first... answer." <laughs> you passed. It's a good answer. And all of a sudden, Molly and her dad just. They come from behind a curtain and say, oh, you're the first boyfriend to ever pass a test. And her dad says he's he he shakes his hand you know, in a congratulatory manner and says, you know, I've watched many of Molly's boyfriends just bend my wife over those sideboards and just the hell out of her. <laughs> and so you can tell they're obviously relieved. They're laughing. And Joel's like, hey, can I take the test again? <laughs> And they're eat, they're having dinner, and and Molly's dad is just you can tell he's visibly pleased with with Molly's decision to date this guy, and he even just outright says, you know, Joel, I really like you, and I forgot the I forgot the transition here, Jeff. You want to help me out of how he um, finds out their white supremacists? So at this point, they they propose a toast. I'm gonna pull the scene up. I think. I'll- Beautiful white daughter, Molly. Here, here. Wait, what? She is beautiful, isn't she, Joel? Skin pure as the driven snow, completely unmongrelized. Uh, my beautiful Aryan princess, Molly. To Molly. Thanks, Mama. Um, what the fuck? So they're having dinner. He's doing this toast, just like he, just like you said. And he's just toasting, hey, you know, isn't 
isn't being white great? <laughs> and Joe's like, what? He's just, he's taken off by, and this is where it's revealed that her parents are just white supremacists and that they love that they're, they have such a beautiful white daughter and she's pure. She's and they not use mixed the line, with anything. Completely unmongrelized. Unmongrelized. And this is obviously, a, this, this is just a, a part where he's just uncomfortable with this. And they, they go back to their apartment, Molly's apartment, and he's just not happy and they end up breaking up. So they end up breaking up. She's well, throwing everything. Like they're having an argument about her parents, but the thing that really does it, he accidentally calls her Tiffany, his ex-girlfriend's name. Yep. And so she's she's that that is her breaking point of it too. So his breaking point that her parents are white supremacists, her breaking point that she that he's not he's still not over his ex-girlfriend Tiffany by calling her Tiffany. And she proceeds to start throwing them out of her apartment, just throwing everything. Here's your suitcase. Take your hat. Uh, take your <laughs> knife set. I mean, just random things. Take your pencils and pens. <laughs> just throw, just piling everything onto a suitcase. <laughs> and he leaves. And he gets back to his own apartment. And Tiffany's there in some red lingerie. <laughs> uh, she 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 says that it's such a huge mistake that she he should she should have never left him. But it's it's obvious that. T- uh, well, Trevor ended up dumping her. Yep. <laughs> completely that there's no hope. I just want to make sure what happened before it will happen again. I'll be honest, Joel, it's going to happen again. And he's like, I'm so glad we could work this out. Like, she's just upfront with him about the fact that she just is, she can't be trusted. And he's like, oh, okay, but he just doesn't care. And. They get to the bedroom and they start just doing everything that you can think of in the Kama Sutra book. Just suplexing, just dive bombing <laughs> off, off the ceiling fan. It looks closer just, to a WWE match. <laughs> just to crazy positions. And again, you know, for us to visualize this into the film that's in the movie, Joel's speaking this out at a dinner table across the table from Bill Hader and his wife and, and Molly. And Bill Hader says, whoa, I mean, are you cool with going into this so much detail? And Bill Hader is just cheesing from ear to ear. And he makes this huge comment. And Jeff, I'll let you you tell you what he says. I think this is one of those times I'm just going to point you toward the film. And I can't deliver it in the way that Bill Hader delivers it. Let's move on. It's it's awesome. It's really Bill Hader is a comic master he's really great in this movie uh we're getting towards the end of the film so it they have the, the three holiday parties that are set back to back to back they have thanksgiving christmas and new year's yeah thanks yes 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 and, thanksgiving, and every christmas, time and they year's. cut to each one of these holidays people in the room are just saying the name of the holiday it's New Year's Eve. It's New Year's Eve. Yay! It's New Year's Eve. I, it, for some reason, that always it's makes Thanksgiving. Me laugh. It's Thanksgiving. It's Christmas. Thanksgiving. Oh, Thanksgiving. <laughs> and it's just showing them through the through this three month span of these holidays that they're they're they've been broken up. They've moved on to to their old prior relationships. And actually, Molly ends up dating Egghead, <laughs> Egbert, and <laughs> so at the the final party at at New Year's Eve, Egbert proposes to her and right before he's about to do the proposal you can kind of see that joel and molly are about to hit it off again she says hey can i get you a drink and he accepts 
And you can kind of see that that chemistry is still there and that there might be some type of reconciliation that's about to happen. But nope. Egbert proposes to her and she reluctantly, visibly reluctantly says, yes, she's not excited about it at all. The room goes into a, an applause there. There she's just accepted this marriage proposal, but she doesn't look happy at all. It and gets they, to the wedding scene. Well, they come back to ahead. the table and they're like, wait. Uh, Bill Hader and his wife are like, wait, why did you accept that? He's clearly wrong for you. And Amy Poehler, because this is just such a glaring plot, plot hole, she's like, oh, you just have to chalk it up to being one of those things. You know, why don't we do that? Let's just, it's one of those things. Let's just leave it at that. It's one of those things. And then they go right back into the movie. <laughs> and she's sitting there at the altar. They're, they're about to get married. And one of the things that she loves about Joel is that he has the ability to see when she's made some type of visible change where she maybe in, in most movies, they, they, they do their hair up or they, they put on different makeup or they wear different type of clothing. Her, she goes to a joke shop and puts on these glasses with this big nose. <laughs> and so she put, ends up putting those glasses onto her face and wanting to acknowledge to her future husband does he notice when I make simple changes to my appearance? And she goes, do you notice anything about me? And he goes, no, you're just as beautiful as always. And that's just her cutting point. She, she doesn't love him at all. She ends up running away from, from the wedding. So and a, a scene you kind of glossed over. There's a scene on mm -hmm. the stoops very early on in their relationship where Amy Poehler's character says, you know something, Joel, if I were about to get married and change my mind at the last second, you know where I would go? And Joel goes, I'm just going to take a shot in the dark here. Boston? She goes, no, I'd go to the pier um, where the boats are. And that is perfect. So, and, and it even sets up. So you, you got that, right? So if I ever want to get married and I end up changing my mind, you know where to find me, right? And this is set up very early on into the film. Yeah. <laughs> and so she ends up leaving, leaving the wedding and a few moments later, Joel comes to the door and says, Molly, I'm I'm going to. And then he he noticed that she's not there. And he's like, hey, where'd she go? And he's there. It was like, oh, you know, she she couldn't go through with it. And he goes, I got it. I know exactly where she is. And he goes, everybody follow me. <laughs> and, they, and everyone leaves the wedding and they're they take cabs or they're running down the street and they end up in Boston. And they're looking <laughs> she's for She's not her. here. <laughs> <laughs> she's not here. And one of the cool things that I, I can't remember, you have to watch this film. And they just, they're saying random things, kind of like how you said, they just said, hey, it's this New Year's Eve, it's Thanksgiving. And they go, yeah, this is, um, they just kept saying Ben Affleck. <laughs> they yeah, kept ben saying Affleck. Ben Affleck. <laughs> Red, ben Affleck, Red Sox. <laughs> ben Affleck, Red Sox. Just, over, just to show that they're in Boston. And they go, oh, they're not here. He goes, oh, wait, you know what? She's at the pier. Follow me again. And they all go back to the pier. And they, he goes, damn it, she's not here. And then she pulls off from, from the scene from the right. And he, she goes, hey, you know, Joel, what are you doing here? And uh, this is you know pretty much the end of the film. They, they start to... He confesses his love for her, that they, they need to be together. And of course, there has to be objections. And one of the objections is, and I kind of skipped over this, but Molly actually has a son. And unbeknownst to her, her baby daddy has just left from jail. He's just he's just been released. And he comes out and he goes, 
he starts to fight Joel, saying, "You know, you you can't raise with my a son. sword, this is my son, with a sword." He comes <laughs> running into fighting. the scene with a sword over his head. It's awesome. And so he disarms him, kicks him, pushes him to the side, and the cops end up showing up. And he starts fighting the cops, and the cops just shoot him right in the face. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> He's awesome. now out of the picture. <laughs> we don't have to worry about that guy anymore. He's dead. <laughs> yeah, and they had a couple strings of people. One of them was um, her. She had mentioned early on that she had an ex-boyfriend named Frank. And so Frank shows up before that scene, and he's like, She's like, he's like, I'm back. Don't get back with him. I'm here for you. She goes, oh, yeah. But what about that yoga instructor she, you ran off with? She goes, well, that's over. She's dead now. I want you. <laughs> <laughs> Just everybody's dead. <laughs> and she goes, it's... no, I don't want to be with you. He goes, okay. And then just runs off. Just runs off. <laughs> <laughs> And so they finally kiss, they kiss and make up, they end up getting married, and you think it's a happy ending to the story, they're, they're back at the restaurant, they're wrapping things up, and Bill Hader actually starts to confess that he actually does indeed love his wife, they share this passionate kiss, and then he, they throw this curveball at you, so after all that, how come you guys ended up getting a divorce? <laughs> and I'm like, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> and they reveal to each other, you know, just... The everything just fell apart. My candy business wasn't making any money. Joel opened up his coffee shop right inside of my 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 candy store. It's just plain coffee. Obviously, that didn't take off. We have no money. <laughs> we just we, we no longer love each other, and we we know that it's best to remain friends. <laughs> but hey, we might get together one day, and that's how the film ends. <laughs> it's awesome. It's a great. I'm gonna movie. go ahead. I'm going to go ahead and say thank you so much for whatever movie you were going to suggest before. I'm glad you switched it. I now, well, I, I haven't talked it. about that yet. So I oh no, I think about... you, I mean before you weren't. Go, I don't think you're in it. I know you, you're no, leading up to I, that right for now. Next but... week for week three. Oh, I see. Yeah. So initially, for this this week here that we're on, I was going to suggest the movie that I know you're going to hate because, but I was basing it off of whether or not you like Swiss Army Man. You did not like Swiss Army Man. Fair enough. So I said, well, I want to give you a movie I know you're going to like. Do this one. And then I said, week three, I'm going to suggest that movie that I know you're going to hate. Here's the thing. I enjoyed Your Next so much. I couldn't in good conscience make you watch something terrible. So I've changed the rule on myself and on you. As long as you keep your streak alive on this show with good movies, I will keep pushing back on or having you watch this movie that I know you're going to hate. But I know when you watch it and we talk about it on the show, it's going to be awesome. That's why I want you to watch it. I'm not trying to be mean. <laughs> but let's I go ahead. I can promise you this, that if we ever, if I ever end this streak by producing something within any of these movie review weeks that you don't like and you hit me with that movie i'm gonna hit back even harder i'm gonna find something that i know i kind of enjoy but i know it's just not the type of genre movie you like or the actors or the actresses or the type of storyline it's gonna happen i'm gonna get you but before we get into that let me go ahead and give you my uh final letter grade for this oh film. yes right i i definitely enjoyed this film i it is hilarious from beginning to end i 
I watched this movie twice. The first time I watched it just to enjoy it. I watched it again to actually take the notes. That's and been my I practice. To, I have to give this movie a B plus. Excellent. Well, we both did well then this week. We we gave we sure each did. other. This is what you call a fair trade. We both gave each other B plus movies. And again, don't hear B plus as being bad. B plus is great. We really enjoyed the movies this week. But now we move ahead. Next week. Now, last week, I gave you my movie first. So this week, why don't you go first? Give me what I'm watching. All right. This movie, I love. It's uh, this, is, this is a movie I actually would have never watched whatsoever. But this is one of my wife's favorite films. And when she said, hey, you know, I this is one of my favorite movies. And I said, you know, what's the name of it? And she gives me the name. I'm like, no, immediately not. This, not, mm, this is not my movie. Nope. <laughs> yeah. And so we ended up watching her favorite movie. And I fell in love with this movie. So it's actually a, a drama film. It stars Al Pacino and Ooh. Chris O'Donnell. Al Pacino. It's, it, oh, I know Al where Pacino, we're going. Chris O'Donnell. No, yeah. you've asked me it to is... watch it before and I refused. <laughs> oh, yep, you refuse just because the name of the film uh, I, I, I I've know seen that. the it's... trailers I alright <laughs> it is Scent of a Woman okay Scent of a Woman you've asked me and I've told you straight up I'm not watching it and now we have this show and I have to watch it I've been waiting for this moment for years yeah years and it's finally right, here Scent of you're a watching woman. Scent of uh, a Woman yep. you said Al Pacino I'm on board but you know who starred opposite Al Pacino in the movie Heat? Robert De Niro. Would you like to watch a Robert De Niro movie this week? I love Robert De Niro. Robert De Niro is awesome. And when we kind of created a list to see what we have seen and what we haven't seen, I was surprised when you said you hadn't seen this movie. It came out. I'm intrigued. In Let's hear it. Let's hear it. It came out in 1987. Stars Robert De Niro. That's probably why I haven't seen it. I was born in 86. Gotcha. Yeah. 87. <laughs> stars Robert De Niro. Do you know who Andy Garcia is? Uh, yes. He's that comedian, right? No. He is uh, from oh, Ocean's Eleven. He's the guy who owns the casino. Oh, yes. Yes. That mobster looking guy. Yeah. So Andy Garcia is in it, as well as Sean Connery and Kevin Costner. Damn, dude. This, this sounds okay. awesome. I cannot believe you have not seen The Untouchables. Nope. Never seen it. I you I really think, despite me not wanting to see Synth of Woman, I think I gave you a movie you're really going to like. It's really good. Well, again, I know that you don't want to see Synth of Woman. And again, I definitely didn't want to see it. You know, I'm like, this is, I'm trying to build this real you know this romantic bond with you no know, my now my now wife at the time just a girlfriend i'm like oh you know what i need to appease let me watch this movie i end up loving it so i'm pretty okay. confident that you'll do the same i can relate i have seen so many jane austen movies since i started dating my wife and have been married to her that one of them is gonna show up on this show at some point because i actually really enjoy a lot of them so anyway that's it. Episode two in the books. Next week, we've got The Untouchables and Scent of a Woman. So, <laughs> what more do you want? We know, this. We know, guys, this was a lengthy one, but I, I think it was worth every minute for you to actually get a good understanding. When you watch these films and then come listen to the podcast, you're going to appreciate it. 
And if you don't want to watch the movies, you really get the full recap anyway. So, like, if there's a movie, like, you're not a horror person, you can sit and listen to us recap a horror movie and just get all the fun parts, not have to sit through something that really isn't your genre, but hopefully are entertained. All right. So we do want to thank Sir Flame for the music that you hear at the beginning and end of every show. You can find his music on Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever you listen. You can also follow him on Instagram and Twitter at Set It On Flame. You can follow us on Twitter at Film Soliloquy. If you have any recommendations for movies that you think maybe we haven't seen, let us know. And uh, we yeah. can see if one of us haven't seen it. it. So join us next Wednesday for more Film Soliloquy. Yeah. Yeah, like we always do it this time I go for mine and made plans for yours Cause I got the shine Go bar for bar, go line for line Like Kobe in 99, I'm so close to prime Bad bitch by my side, I'm so close behind We living in a moment, there's no post to bind You think there was a deal that I'm supposed to sign The gang's just a mountain that I'm supposed to climb I remember, man, 11 years old when I made it to go Up in Fairville, I related to cold Fresh bubble jacket, shit, I hated the cold But when winter come around, we would play in the snow They had enough North Sway, so I made it to flow